Good morning, friends. It is um, such a joy to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Vijay Misala. Misala means mustache. That's my last name. <laughs> and I'm married to uh, my wife, beautiful wife, Abigail. Abigail is from Minneapolis. Uh, coldest part of the U.S., I believe, and <laughs> well, I, Alaska. Uh, one of the uh, yeah, one of the coldest. I come from India, where um, in summer it could get as high as 120 degrees, and with humidity, it's just very hot. And we've been married since 2017. Um, Abigail, you would you like would you like to say a couple of things? Um, um, we have a church in our village, and I like to serve with the children and I have a small school a Montessori school that I started um, and uh, that, that's my role <laughs> thank you she does an amazing job with children um, teaching them uh, it's been such a blessing to serve the Lord together with Abigail since 2000 uh, she joined me well, she came on a short-term mission trip. She thought it was going to be a short-term, but ended up being a lifetime mission trip. Um, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be with you today. Well, I'm from southern part of India, South India, a state called Andhra Pradesh. Um, India has uh, 1.3 billion people. Um, 80% of them are Hindus. About 14% of them are Muslims. India has also uh, second largest Muslim population in the world because just because of the number of people that we have. And then Christians are, you know, about less than 2% uh, of them are Christians. Now, Christianity in India is as old as Christianity itself because in about 50 AD, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, we call him Doubting Thomas, um, he came to India. He came to India on a boat, and he was uh, he's, um, he. Uh, the tradition says that he planted about seven churches, and one of them still in a place called Nirinam in Kerala um, still traces his roots back to the time of um, Thomas. Um, as he was preaching the gospel and going place to place, he came to a place called Chennai. And there on a mountain one time as he was praying, just like in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Acts, he stirred up a lot of, I mean, a lot of people there and people, especially um, Hindu priests, thought this man is really destroying our, uh, our jobs and economy here for ourselves because a lot of people not going to temples anymore, but believing and trusting and our living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then one of the, uh, one day, um, as he was praying, somebody threw a spear and then um, killed him. He became a martyr in my country. And um, um, the gospel um, took roots in 5080, but uh, today, uh, in 2020, still the percentage of Christians are um, very small. Um, the, the, you know, we have about seven point some billion people in the world, and uh, India has largest second largest population, and uh, there's still uh, a lot of people to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, this morning, what I would like to do is the first ten minutes or so, I would like to spend um, giving you a brief idea of uh, the missions work in India and also. 
uh, in 1040 window. If you look at the map, uh, if you Google and you uh, uh, after the church, you will find there is a region in the world called 1040 window. It's uh, uh, between 10 and 40 degrees uh, latitude, I guess. Um, I think, yeah, I, it stretches from Middle East, um, uh, Africa, Middle East, and Asian uh, nations, about 67 countries. Um, are called as as a resistant belt because there is no presence of gospel, not many Christians. Uh, these re- this region is considered as the most unreached and unengaged uh, region of the world. And um, so in that uh, uh, region, um, uh, there's a lot of persecution, there's a lot of opposition. But if you look at some of the mission's uh, history, what uh, I mean, 200 years ago, I mean, since 200 years, there is an explosive growth of Christianity in the global south. Global south meaning it includes Latin America, Africa, and some parts of Asia uh, is considered as global south. So there was an explosive growth. You know, North America and Europe, um, the church in North America and Europe has sent uh, a number of missionaries starting from 1800s. Because of their sacrificial work, missionary work, today we have untold millions of Christians in that region. Thanks to thanks to be God for the church in North America for sending those missionaries. We are thankful for the church. Um, those days when the traveling wasn't even a thing, you know, they had to take a boat. They were not even sure that they will make it to the destination, the mission field that they were planning to go. Three months, four months, six months on the ship. Um, so their sacrificial work now resulted in untold millions of Christians in our part of the world. And but what happened was um, because of certain movements later on, like for example, church planting movements, which are um, amazing, great. But I think the desire to produce a lot of numbers and instant churches, instant instant disciples. So the understanding of the gospel in our region uh, for people is inch deep and mile long. This is basically a surface level. And there are many other reasons why these regions are considered or still remain unreached and unengaged. Some of the reasons are like, for example, there's a lot of illiteracy, a lot of uh, lack of education in our region. And then also there is a persecution, uh, primarily Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and people of other religions are predominantly, um, uh, they are the predominant uh, uh, religious groups that live in this region. So there are often there's opposition to Christian faith. Often there's persecution, uh, starting with maybe verbal abuse to physical killing. In fact, that seems to be at race. It is increasing uh, in the last few years, we can see there's a, a fundamentalism, Hindu fundamentalism, Islamic fundamentalism uh, growing and they oppose the work of the gospel. And then also because of the lack of theological education, there are a lot of syncretistic practices, meaning mixing of local religion and with Christian faith. Um, it's it just a lot of uh, syncretistic practices. Just give you an idea of what is a syncretistic practice. One day I received a phone call for a house dedication. So by the time I went there, there were a lot of people there and uh, the house owner had been a Christian for a long time. And uh, so they were all standing there. There was a small pit and then there, they threw in some money, some coins 
and then they threw in some seeds and nine different kinds of seeds. And then finally they gave me a coconut oil bottle and said, Pastor, pray over it. And then, you know, you have all your practices from your former religious faith and then you seal it with the Christian faith prayer with a coconut oil. Oil, anointing with oil. Are you familiar with that term? With that term? And then, um, well, um, I did what I had to do and I prayed and uh, several months later I received another phone call. House dedication ceremony building is completed. Um, if it was a Hindu family, they would invite a Hindu priest a Hindu priest would bring a cow and until the cow urinates in every single room because they think it's holy cow uh, purifying, <laughs> purifying the place and how does the purification happen? It has to urinate in every room. Make sure that it will do, it do that in every room. And now once you become a Christian, you invite a pastor. You will make the pastor go into every room, but of course to pray. Uh, and uh, so, I mean, it, that is not a bad thing in itself, but some of the things that they try to relate it uh, through uh, the lenses of their former faith. So what I'm trying to say is that even the gospel that is being preached, um, the, the, not, uh, not many disciples have been made, simple converts without much understanding of the scriptures and gospel, and that produces uh, men that have no idea what the real gospel, true gospel is. Uh, so adding all those factors uh, are the reasons why uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lack of, um, and also adding to that, if you look at a website called Joshua Project, it has a lot of information, uh, there's a great imbalance uh, in missions. There are 440,000 cross-cultural missionaries in the world today, and only 3% of them go to unreached, unengaged people groups where 3 billion unreached and unengaged people groups are there. So 96, 96, 97% of the resources and the missionaries go to places that are already Christians, are already reached, but only 3% of the missionaries go to these regions that they were this greatest need. And even if you look at the finances, finances, money, also is dedicated, majority of the funds are given or used in the Christian context and uh, some of it is used in the context where um, the gospel has already been reached and they say less than a penny is dedicated or sent towards missions work where, where there are 3 billion people are yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this imbalance. So they're talking to churches pleading with churches to actually reorganize their finances so that there is a chunk of money uh, is dedicated as a mission worker, as a church, uh, sending missionaries or um, uh, also having local focus and also global focus so that the unreached uh, people will be reached with the gospel of Jesus. Now I would like us to uh, close our eyes and pray and then we will look into God's word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Most thank you for the freedom in this nation. For us to be able to come together and worship your glorious name and praise your name. Lord, this morning would you please speak to us through your word. May your word, Lord, enlighten our hearts so that we can see Jesus more. 
and also open our eyes to the greatest theme in the world that is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations where Christ has not already been preached. In Jesus' name I pray. This morning I would like um, us to read from Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 verses 18 to 24. I would like to read it for us. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has already accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by the word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from, the, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I since, uh, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company, for a while. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about uh, on the theme of hospitality towards the messengers of the gospel. And he talked about embracing the righteous bearers of the gospel message is embracing the author of the gospel itself. And there's a reward in caring for the needs of the gospel, uh, God's people and messengers. There's also judgment for those who rejecting those rejecting the needs um, of them too. So that's what last week uh, Pastor Brian um, spoke about. And this week um, we're going to talk about he spoke about the God's messenger, gospel messengers. This week it's more like what kind of ambitions and desires must those messengers have? So the title of my message is A Great Ambition of Paul. Paul's Ambition. So we read from verses 18 to 24, but primarily I'll be focusing um, on verse 20. Okay, in this uh, text, if you see, uh, you know, this verse is, uh, I mean, letter to uh, Romans is written by Paul. If you look at life of Paul, it's very, very fascinating. He was a Jew from Tarsus, and today it's uh, southern Turkey. He was educated in Jerusalem by the famous Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee, he was a Roman citizen. He persecuted believers and he got converted on the way to Damascus. And he was one of the most uh, prominent authors in the New Testament. Depending on uh, what you believe about uh, the author of Hebrews, uh, we can say safely he has written about 14 epistles in the New Testament. Apostle, he was an apostle to Gentiles from age 31 to 66, roughly, you know, about 35 years or so. He was in the ministry and missions work as an apostle to Gentiles. You know, the epistles that he had written, you know, they continue to be vital roots for our theology, worship, and church ministry. That is a very prominent work that he had done. In the beginning of this letter, Paul talks about himself or he gives three titles to himself, okay? A bond servant of Jesus Christ, 
called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Okay? Bond servant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. In all the these three titles or phrases, the crucial thing is, is not who Paul is, but whom he belonged to. In all these three titles, that's what we see. And, uh, um, and then if you further see in these verses, you know, in, from verses 18 to 24, he seems to be looking back over the greater part of his life. He has written the, uh, Romans after his third, uh, third missionary journey. Basically, it feels like, it, <coughs> it looks like he's looking back over greater part of his life as a missionary. And then at the end of his life, almost at the end of his life, he's sharing these verses. And uh, shortly after writing this uh, epistle to Romans, uh, he, was, uh, he, had, uh, he was taken to uh, Jerusalem. He took a journey to Jerusalem. He got arrested there. And then he was taken to Rome. And then there he got martyred for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, his calling and purpose in this verses is stressing on what Christ has accomplished through him. It is not a self-sustained, self-started, self-desired mission work, but it is a work of Christ for the sake and for the sake of the glory of God, for the sake of reaching the unreached, for the sake of reaching the nations where the Christ has not already been preached. So basically, in this verses, he is rightly crediting all the glory and all the accomplished where it belonged. It belonged to God. And in these verses that we have read, we primarily see about three things we see here. The first one is his ambition. Okay, that's where I'm going to spend majority of my um, time in preaching. And the second we also see there's an immeasurable need for the gospel to be preached. And then we also see his global strategy for reaching, reaching nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the verse 20, in verse 20, it reads, And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named. That's what was his ambition. His goal and his mission guided his strategy and shaped the meaning of his life. He was controlled by this ambition. Pastor John Piper calls this ambition as a, a holy ambition for about Three reasons. For three reasons, he calls it as a holy ambition. It was a holy ambition because the aim is holy. To see people from all the nations who have never heard of Jesus believe in him and become obedient to him and to be saved by him from their sins and from the wrath of God. Saving people from the bondages of sin, it is a holy ambition. Because the aim of it, it's, this ambition is holy. And then it is a holy ambition because it comes from God, God himself. And, uh, and also from his holy word. Do you have a holy ambition? Not everyone should have ambition like Paul to be missionaries in unreached places. You know, one plants, another waters, and each one have their own gifts. But I think God would be pleased if each one of his children had a holy ambition. Holy ambition, it, it is a holy ambition also because it comes out of love for Christ 
unfurnished people. His people are everywhere. His people are in, in every nation, among every people groups. So it is a holy ambition because it comes from out of love for our Lord Jesus Christ and also for his people who are now among the perishing souls. And what is the source of this ambition? The source of his ambition in verse, uh, um, verse 20 and 21 we see here that it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. The source of his ambition, you know, actually he could have gone in, in the route of where, hey, you know, I was going to Damascus. I had this great, amazing experience. I've seen the light. The Lord has spoken to me. And therefore, now I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would, it would have been fine to go in that route. But actually, he was not elevating his miraculous experience as the source of his ambition. But he's actually, he's actually having the scripture, the written word of God as source of his ambition. Because that will eliminate a lot of problems. Because if um, your ambitions comes from experiences, there's a tendency, there's a possibility that we could go into wrong places. Because in my country, a lot of people emphasize on personal experiences. Sometimes those experiences cannot be validated based on the word of God. But if you go in the route of having scripture as your primary source for your holy ambition, then we are sure that it, is, it can never go wrong. That's the route Paul was taking here. Scripture. So where does our ambition, our holy ambition come from? I think it comes from a personal encounter with the living Christ. It may not necessarily as dramatic, as miraculous as Paul's experience on the way to Damascus, but it comes from our personal encounter with the living Christ and shaped informed and empowered by the written word of God. That's where our ambitions must come from. Okay. As you meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, as you immerse yourself in the word of God, it comes and takes some of the truths of the word and burns into our hearts until it becomes a holy ambition. If this has not happened yet in your life, in your heart, saturate yourself with the living word of God and ask him for it. He will do it in my, in your own heart, in my heart, because he had done it in the life of Paul. And in order to, if I may say, achieve this ambition, in order to fulfill his ambition and desires, desire for the Lord, he had a great determination and also a personal sacrifice. You may have a great ambition, but it doesn't just freely come. There has to be determination. Sometimes it also includes personal sacrifice. You know, he traveled from Jerusalem to Illyricum. 48 cities he personally traveled. Rugged and mountainous terrain to unsafe and hostile environment. According to the book, Paul the missionary, realities, strategies, and method. He says, Paul traveled by land 
8,700 miles and by sea 6,800 miles. So about 15,000 miles of extraordinary distances he traveled. He had a determination. And that travel you know, had great limitations of transportation, not like amazing roads like in the U.S. Um, he was willing to endure hardship. He was able to accomplish all this, of course, with the help of the Lord, but he had determination. He went to Philippi, you remember, he went to Philippi, he had a vision and call, and he goes to Philippi there, and he casted out a demon there, and he got imprisoned because you know, he casted out a demon. And even in the prison, he was worshipping the Lord. And there was an earthquake. And they, the, the shackles were broken. They were released. And Jailer looked at that situation. And he wanted to commit suicide because he thought all the prisoners escaped. And then Paul said, hey, um, we are all here. We haven't run away. And then there, a question came from Jailer. What must I do to be saved? That's the only place in the entire New Testament that question is being asked. Because Paul was obedient and he was willing to make Christ known. He was already not named. And that night, the entire uh, jailer's uh, family came to the Lord. And whether he was on the road, on the sea, or in a prison, he had an ambition to make Christ known. And then he went to Athens. He preached Christ there. Then to Damascus. In fact, um, on the way to Damascus, he got converted, and after meeting with Gamaliel, um, he started preaching Christ. In fact, uh, because of that, uh, the, his Jewish brothers were not very happy, so they had to be uh, uh, Paul had to be put in a basket and lowered outside the gate, uh, city walls. That was the very uh, beginning season of his conversion. So, if you look at his from time of his conversion until his death. He, was, he had an ambition to make Christ known. And if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, 23 to 32, he goes on a great length to explain um, how much heavy price he had to pay, what costed in his life uh, for him as he had his ambition to preach Jesus. You know, this is what it says. I'm just quoting uh, from ESV version, with, a, with a far great, greater labors, far more imprisonment, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Night and day I was adrift at a sea. At sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers. Dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from my from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there, are, there is a daily pressure on me of uh, my anxiety uh, for all the churches. And he goes on. To give the list of things that he had endured because he had an ambition to preach Christ. Brothers and sisters, Paul was chosen by God, appointed by God, used by God for his purposes. During that time, he made preaching gospel as his ambition. And in order to fulfill it, he had suffered for the sake of the gospel. He had an ambition 
determination and sacrifice. And in this text, we also see there's a great immeasurable need. Okay? And in the text, we see verse 20, Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, notice here, not where Christ has already been named. If you underline that word, not where Christ has already been named, uh, we can come up with a lot of data even in our own context. You know, the ministry context is no different from today's context, our own context. His ministry context and our ministry context is almost similar because the need is still there. Okay, so Paul has set himself apart to preach the gospel to people where he has never, where they have never heard of Jesus Christ. That's why he traveled to places, met people, talked about Jesus. That was the motivating factor for even enduring all the suffering. All that he had gone through was for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he was a missionary, I mean, when he was an apostle, when he was an evangelist, he chose those 48 cities strategically because there was an immeasurable need at that time. Even today, um, there is a great immeasurable need. For example, in 1040 window, 3 billion people, only 3% of the missionaries are going there. In our nation also, there are 500,000 villages where there is no gospel of Jesus Christ. Look around in your own country, in, in your own family maybe, in your own neighborhood. There is an immeasurable need, locally and also globally. The need of the nations who do not know Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, is an immeasurable, immeasurable need. My dear brothers and sisters, God doesn't lead us into ambitions that are pointless, that you will regret at the end of your life. There's always a need to be met by a holy ambition. And then in the text, we also see that uh, he had a global strategy. He had an ambition, and he looked at the immeasurable need around him, and he had a strategy. And the strategy is, in verse 19, we see, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's from Jerusalem up to uh, Syria, across the Asia Minor, which is Turkey today, down through Greece, on the eastern side, up to the west of northern Italy, and all the way to Albania. That's the Illyricum. So basically, he had gone through all those regions, and that was his global strategy. And he says here that he had no more room to preach the gospel. It does not mean that he had preached the gospel to every single individual in that region. I think he actually focused on the places where the gospel is not reached. He strategically chosen some cities and that's where he preached and planted churches, appointed elders, and he moved on as a pioneer, frontline missionary. So he had gone to all those major places and now he tells in this text, I long to come and see you for a long time. But I've been prevented from coming to see you, the church in Rome, because I had an ambition. Now, by the grace of God, by the strength of God, I've completed this task. Now I can come to see you on my way to Spain. Praise the Lord. And my dear brothers and sisters, what a privilege in this nation that we have. But at least 
for now, you still have the freedom to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, at least some portions of the, this land. I think you're also moving in a direction where it is going to be difficult to be a Christian. It's already difficult to become a Christian, to profess the name of Christ in public space. And we have already been there in that, in that um, condition for a long time. And Christians in America are also moving in that direction. Paul said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. That is the heart of a missionary talking here. A person whose calling is to herald the good news of Jesus Christ in places where Christ is not named. I may be sounding repetitive, but I would like to communicate this morning that Paul had an ambition and that ambition was to make Christ known, especially in places his name has not already been preached. Since the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations is still valid and still relevant, and there are people today who do not know the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, every church should pray that God would raise up frontline missionaries, frontier missionaries, and make us all have the spirit of evangelists locally and globally. I pray, I pray that few few years from now, some of you will be there in that in that region of the unreached and unengaged people groups, and you can say along with Paul, "I'm here to speak the gospel to those who have never heard of Jesus," as Paul had written in Romans fifteen twenty. I pray that the Lord would raise. A generation of young people to be able to commit their lives to Christ to bring the gospel because there's a great need. I have a couple of, I have a few practical suggestions suggestions um, to keep ourselves informed. Okay, um, gives a little time in, in your busy schedules to learn about unreached and unengaged people groups. Pray for them regularly. There's a website called um, Joshua Project. It has a lot of data on unreached and unengaged people groups. Read through the biographies of missionaries. It'll give you a lot of inspiration. And uh, make a short-term trip to India. Uh, and uh, put up an unreached people groups map in your home. Get involved in finishing the task. Be a, be a, a goer, I mean, be the someone who can go into the mission field. And I know that God is not calling everyone to be a missionary to go. But if you can't be a goer, you can be a sender. You can be a sender in terms of praying and um, sharing your resources with them, your finances with them. In that way, you can be a sender. I would like to conclude here um, that this morning, uh, I'm thankful to be here with you. And I, I pray again that Lord would impress on your hearts, just like Paul had an ambition to preach the preach Christ, that Christ is not named, that as a church, as an individual, Lord would do an amazing miracle to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that once we were sinners in bondage, in darkness, but God in his sovereign mercy, not because we deserve, but because of his mercy, he came down from heaven to earth and he lived a perfect life 
and 33 and a half years he spent on this earth among the people who were throwing their fists against him and rebelling against him. He came to the very people who rejected him and he lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he gave himself on the cross of Calvary. He shed his holy and precious blood for you and for me so that whoever comes to him, that they will be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we will be justified, that we will be covered with his blood and be clean, cleansed from our sins. And because of Jesus Christ, we can go to the presence, going to the, going to the presence of the Father, that we will not be facing his wrath, but we will be facing, we will be experiencing the love of our Father. He brought us to the Father, a holy and amazing, wonderful Father's love we can experience because Jesus died for you on the cross. And the message that Jesus is the only Savior of this world and only through Christ we can go to heaven. The alternative is hell. And there are millions and millions of people on their way to this eternal fire. And we have only means of saving them. It is Jesus Christ our Lord and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can bring people to Christ. And we are empowered and equipped with that message. Why should we just keep it ourselves? And let's give it all for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And God bless you.